Well, the video that you see is of my daughter, Karis, and many of you watched that video uh, on social media over the last month. Uh, as you can see in the video, maybe it's a little blurry, but this is when she received uh, what she has wanted her whole life, this little puppy that we've named Dobzy. And I personally have never in my life witnessed firsthand that kind of joy, that kind of happiness, being in the presence of someone who is just overwhelmed with with joy and happiness that they can't contain themselves. You hear her over and over saying, this can't be real. This can't be real. This is something she never would have expected. And like everyone else, this time has been extremely difficult. And uh, Danae and I just wanted to bring a little joy and happiness to our home. And it just so happened that Karis' birthday uh, was just a few weeks ago. Um, and we decided that we were going to get her what she had always wanted, a puppy. Now, behind that story is also the fact that we have actually forgotten Karis' birthday a couple of times during her lifetime. Uh, Karis' birthday falls right in the middle of baseball season. And if you know our family, we uh, have a lot of baseball players and we're at a different baseball field every night during the spring. And one spring, Karis looked at us from the dinner table and said, y'all forgot my birthday. And Danae and I looked at each other and said, you know what? That was a couple weeks ago and we totally forgot your birthday. And so we wanted to make it up to her. And as I said earlier, she... She wanted a puppy her whole life. This is something she has longed for. And we've always said no. And it's the, the classic, you won't even have to take care of it. I'll potty train it. I'll, I'll feed it. She's even uh, offered to pay for her own puppy uh, before. And it, it's been awfully hard at times to look into those precious little eyes of my daughter and say no. But, you know, I was raised in rural Tennessee and having dogs in the house, it wasn't just advised against. It was almost treated as sin. And so it has taken me a whole lifetime to say it's OK to have a dog in the house. It's OK to have a pet in the house. And this seemed like the perfect time. Or maybe COVID-19 has just made me crazy or soft, but it's changed my views on a lot of things, even getting my daughter a puppy. But you hear her joy. I would have never expected this. This can't be real. And, and as a side note for parents, if you're always telling your kid yes, and you're always getting them everything they want, you will miss out on moments like that. Your kids will miss out on moments like that. And so it was this moment with Danae and I where we were we were uh, overwhelmed with joy, watching her joy and happiness and her gratitude. You know what? I wish we could spend this whole quarantine in that moment of bliss. I wish that you could just sort of suck that emotion dry and use it over time and and you would never uh, you, you would never be depressed. You would never be lonely. You would never struggle. You would never you would never deal with sadness. I wish somehow that moment of bliss could be extended throughout this whole time 
as we are isolated and away from one another. But we know the reality. Life is not a constant, I get a puppy moment. Life's hard. Life's difficult. And some of us are coming to terms with that even now. And and when we get to the book of Philippians, which we're going to begin our study in today, Paul teaches us of a kind of joy that that is transcendent. And even as we we look at those moments of extreme happiness and glee and, and almost a blissfulness, they do teach us of what we will have in Jesus forever. And yet, in these moments, right now, as we suffer difficulty, as we go through very trying times, we understand that's what's coming to us in Jesus. And there's a joy we can have now, a weighty joy in these moments that understands God's goodness. That for a little while, he may be saying no. That for just a moment, he may not be doing what we want so desperately But we can trust his goodness because he has given us something better in Christ. And that's the sort of joy that Paul tries to define in the book of Philippians. As you as you turn to the book, we're going to look at verses one and two today. As you turn to the book of Philippians, let me give you some context for this book. First of all, Paul is in a Roman prison and he has had a all expense paid trip to Rome On a prison ship. He has been arrested for preaching the gospel. He is being tried for preaching the gospel. And he has been taken to Rome. To stand trial. And yet while in Rome. He has freedom to write. He even has freedom to share the gospel. And yet while in Rome. This church that he planted in Philippi. They become really concerned about him. They love Paul. They send him an offering. And they send a man named Epaphroditus to encourage him with this offering. And Epaphroditus begins to tra- travel from Philippi to Rome. And this would have been 800 miles. 800 miles of walking, riding a horse, in a carriage, on boats. 800 miles. The, the quickest travel would have taken maybe three months. But, but on average, it would have been six months to get from Philippi to Rome. And so Epaphroditus, he, he sets out with this offering. But along the way, he gets really sick. And he has to rent a house. And so now, the church in Philippi, they're concerned about Paul. But now they're concerned about Epaphroditus. And they're worried. And yet, Epaphroditus finally makes it to Paul. Some believe a year after leaving Philippi. And Paul immediately sends him back. He sends him back with this letter. And even in those horrible circumstances, the travel, the sickness, being imprisoned, he writes a letter of joy. He writes a letter of joy from a Roman prison with chains on his wrist to say there is a transcendent joy that we have in the gospel that you can have even in a jail cell for Jesus. That you can even have on your sick bed for Jesus. That you can even have when you are worn out like Epaphroditus serving Jesus. Notice verse 1 of chapter 1 as we begin this letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And so first of all, we have Paul. Paul is 
Acts chapter 9, we remember how Paul is converted, how he uh, is blinded by this light. Paul was the MJ of the band is standing up because they thought I was going to say stand in reverence. We're just doing a little different today. Uh, Sorry about that. But back to Paul, who was Saul in Acts chapter 9, a man who was headed out to kill Christians. He was a persecutor of the church. When you thought about Saul before Acts chapter 9, you thought about the logo of the enemy of God. He was the Hitler. He was the Osama bin Laden of the New Testament. He is headed out to kill Christians. And as I said, he is the MJ of Judaism. He is the leader, the goat, the best teacher of Judaism, which means he hates Christians. Because Judaism elevated the law to a point that they minimized Jesus. And they hated the message that it was all about Jesus. And Paul hated it so much that he was headed out to kill Christians. And yet God blinded him and saved him. And he turns into the greatest missionary the church has ever known. And he's writing this letter. But notice Timothy is with him. Timothy is his right hand man. Timothy was a a young man who was raised by a Jewish mother. And yet his father was Greek. And so he knew the he knew the Old Testament scriptures and he knew the Greek culture. And so he made a great candidate for ministry. And Paul discipled him and made him into this pastor and church planner. And in the book of Philippians, he says, there is no one who cares for you like Timothy. Timothy is with Paul as he writes this letter. But notice how they describe themselves. Notice verse one. Servants. Slaves, bondservants of Christ Jesus. This term, Christ, these terms, Christ Jesus. So often we think about Jesus and we think that's his first and last name, Jesus Christ. That's a title for the Messiah. That that means King, Savior. And we read in the Old Testament of this longing, of this hope. For this king who would save, save his people from their enemies. And in Jesus Christ from Nazareth, the Galilean, we find the king who saves. But he is the king who saves not just from political enemies or governmental enemies, but from the enemies of sin and death. And here Paul says, Timothy and myself, we are slaves to this king. We are slaves to this king who saves. And that imagery would have been so real to Paul. Imagine he's about to send Epaphroditus back and he wants to send a letter and he reaches up to grab the pen and there's the shackle around his hand. What's the first thing he's going to say? I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm a slave to Rome. No, despite these shackles. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who saved me from my sins. And I'm serving him even in this Roman prison. As he looks up at the symbol of government power. He would have seen Roman soldiers. Who would have been all around him. Who would have been monitoring his actions. He would have seen power of Rome. And he's saying my chains may be branded by Rome. But my slavery is to Jesus Christ. And that's something we have to understand if we're going to have joy. 
Because of the gospel, here's the reality of the book of Philippians. Because of the gospel, our joy cannot be shackled. It can't be quarantined. Because it's not dependent upon our circumstances. It's not dependent on where we are. It's dependent upon who we are. Who we are in Christ. Our identity as servants, as slaves to Him, no matter where we are and who we are in Him, that's where we find joy. And so you want joy in this difficult time? Begin each day by saying, I'm a slave to Christ today. No matter where I am, bound by my circumstances, bound by others' decisions, it doesn't matter. I am bound to Jesus Christ. You want to be miserable during this time? Be bound to your government. Be bound to your job. Be bound to money. Be bound to your circumstances. If your hopes and dreams are tied up in any of those things, you are going to be miserable. And you're going to lack joy. Because those things change. Those things are finite. Those things cannot provide you infinite joy. And there's going to be people and things wrapped up in all of that. They're going to disappoint you. But Jesus never disappoints. And so you can say, because I'm not a slave to any government. And and so I'm not dependent upon a good decision or a bad decision. Or or what I want someone to do or what I what I don't want someone to do. It doesn't matter. My joy is not dependent upon them. My joy is dependent upon Christ who died for my sins and he's back from the dead and I serve him. Don't be a slave to your job. Be a good employee. Work hard. Make your boss all kinds of money. So, so you can get raises and so you can get more money and so you can serve more people and give uh, more for the sake of the gospel. You should be a great employee, but do not be a slave to the company. Because if you're a slave to your job, your joy is going to be dependent on the money. Your joy is going to be dependent on the promotions. Your joy is going to be dependent upon the recognition. But if you're a slave to Christ... You say, my joy is dependent upon Christ. I serve Christ. I work for Christ. I do all I do as unto the Lord. I'm a slave to Christ. Don't don't be a slave to your sports teams. Some of us are slaves. Slaves to our college football team. Slaves to our college basketball team. The, The pro teams that we watch. We become slaves to them. And you know how I know this? Because if the score is good or bad, our emotions are all out of sorts. We're either happy or or almost depressed the day after the cats lose, the vols lose. Our, our, Our emotions are so wrapped up into those things. And you should be a good fan. You should enjoy sports. But you shouldn't be a slave to those things. Your joy shouldn't be dependent upon those things. Don't be a slave to school. Now, some of you students who are at home during this time, you're looking at your mom saying, see, I told you. And now you're saying, Pastor Jeremy told me I don't have to study. That's not what I'm saying. You should be a great student, even from home. But but we're not slaves to the grade. We're not slaves to the degree. We, We study to the glory of God. 
We expand our minds because God has given us that ability to know more and, and, and to process information and to do great things. And so we study hard, but we're not a slave to those things. Our identity is in Christ, not the degree, not the grade. And Paul says here he is a slave to Christ. And notice who he writes to. The text continues to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Now, this word saints is so important and we have such a misconception of that. We think about the Catholic Church and we think about saints. But the reality is every single Christian is a saint. The the word means holy one and it means to be set apart to God. In the Old Testament, things in the temple were set apart to be used by the temple to worship God. And they were called holy. The priest, the priest was set apart to serve God in the temple. And now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, everyone who believes in him is set apart to him by his blood. Set apart to serve him under his authority for his use. And so if you are if you are a Christian, you are a saint. And Paul writes to the saints in Jesus Christ, those who are set apart to this king who saves, who are in Philippi. Now, Philippi would have been an amazing city. It would have been a symbol of Greek culture, but it was also full of idol worship. When you pulled up to Philippi, you would have seen a massive rock outside of the city. And all over that rock would have been inscriptions to false gods. And emperor worship was a part of the city's religion. The city was named after Philip II. It was a very powerful city. It was the hub of of Greek armies. It, It was a city full of industry and commerce. And it was a great city in which to plant a church. And that's exactly what Paul did. If you remember when Paul first came to Philippi in Acts chapter 15. We see the story in Acts chapter 15 and 16. He immediately meets a woman named Lydia. Now she's this fashionista. She's, she sells these purple, very luxurious garments. And because there's not a synagogue, Paul and the missionaries, they go down by the river to pray. And there they meet Lydia. And she hears the gospel and believes the gospel. And eventually, the church in Philippi begins to meet in her house. But from there, Paul and Paul and his partners, they begin to go out and they preach the gospel and they meet this demon possessed girl and and they cast out this demon from her. And yet her master, who had been using her for money, is furious with Paul and the missionaries and he has them arrested and then they're in jail. And we remember the story, they're in jail and then they begin to sing and they begin to praise and the spirit unleashes its power and they are freed. And remember what the jailer does because he is scared for his life. He's going to kill himself. And yet Paul and the missionaries share the gospel with him and he becomes a Christian. And immediately we begin to see how the church in Philippi was formed. These are the sort of people we see who are receiving this letter. And he says to the overseers and deacons, these are to the the pastors who are there. The word here is bishop, and it's used interchangeably with pastor, shepherd or elder. 
And he writes to the servant leaders, the deacons in the church, the two offices in the New Testament. But what I want to point out here is as Paul writes to this New Testament church, it would have been made up of all kinds of people. We have just described the church meeting in the home of a boutique owner. And and there in her home, you would have had this former Wicca occult girl. And then over to the side, you would have had this sheriff's deputy and his family. And that's what the church in Philippi looked like. Much like Ashland Church. We got teachers. We got businessmen. We got stay-at-home moms. We got factory workers. We got digital marketing gurus. All kinds of people who gather here. And we are set apart in Jesus Christ. And this church, as we will see, Paul calls them to find their joy in one another. Because they are in Christ. They are all set apart to Christ. And because they find their joy in Christ. They can find their joy in fellowship with one another. And what we see in Philippians. They have to learn this. Is that their joy is found in their differences. Do you realize that. When we try to pursue joy. In one another and with one another. In fellowship with one another. Often we think. I should only have joy with those who are people who are like me. I should only enjoy their fellowship. People who are the same as me. Philippians teaches us something totally different. We have the most joy when we have in common Jesus with those who are vastly different than us. Think about that. If our joy is just about agreeing with one another. How insecure a joy would that be if our joy is is just in that we all look the same and act the same we're going to always be full of doubt we're going to always be full of angst we're going to be bracing for others to shun us if it's about us all trying to get together and be the same and sort of meld together in this one sameness We're going to be miserable and we're going to be insecure. But if Jesus holds us together, that's the joy that's found in the church. Is that we can be vastly different, but it's about Jesus. I love the fact that at this church, there are people who have political views that differ from mine. I love that. Now, I have some very firm political views. I have some very staunch views about government. But I love the fact that you love me anyway when you disagree with me. There's joy in that. That's what the book of Philippians is going to teach us. Some of my kids are homeschooled. And yet the public school teachers here still love me. I love all things Tennessee. I mean all things Tennessee. Now, I'm beginning to realize some of you aren't so fond of Tennessee. Except for Gatlinburg. Which is so ironic. You love Gatlinburg. The rest of the state is glorious. But you love me anyway. And you know what kind of joy that brings? You know what kind of joy that brings in my soul to know it's not dependent upon our sameness? I'm not a fan of southern gospel music. If you haven't noticed that by now. And some of you are frustrated. You want more going to the city. 
and you want more streets of gold. And yet you love me. You just sort of pat me on the head and say, you don't know what you're missing out on, pastor. And you love me anyway. We don't have to all be the same. Notice he continues here. Slaves to Christ. Our joy is found in being set apart to Christ. And then he and then he he gets even more direct and intentional with his words here. Notice verse two. Grace to you and peace from our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where true joy is found. This sums it up for Paul. We, we get to this point and we say, well, he, this is just like writing a letter to the friend, a friend and you start out, dear friend. Now, that's not what he's doing here. This is more than a salutation. He is packing this with gospel. Notice, first of all, grace. It refers to the unmerited, unearned favor of God despite our sin. Despite our sin. Unmerited, unearned favor of God despite our sin. Meaning, I get what I don't deserve. Even more than that. I get God's favor despite what I deserve. Because of my sin, I deserve hell. But God gives me Jesus. And in Jesus, He forgives me of my sin because of the cross. And in Jesus, He promises to raise me from the dead because of Jesus' resurrection. And in Jesus, He gives me the hope of this promised kingdom. That's something I don't deserve. I deserve the opposite of that. I deserve hell. And the heart of grace, we learn in the New Testament through Paul's letters, is justification. here's Here's the heart of the grace of the gospel. Is that when you believe in Jesus, you can be declared righteous, even though you're not. You, you can be declared one who has never sinned and always obeyed despite your sin. That's grace. No, you deserve to be condemned to hell. And yet you can be justified and righteous in Jesus. That's the grace of the gospel. But notice he conti- continues here. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about peace. This comes from the word shalom. And it simply means the war is over and you've been reconciled. You're no longer enemies. And Paul says you're no longer enemies with God. But notice it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here God is the source of grace. He's the source of peace. And because of his grace and peace, notice what you get. You get God and notice our father. This is the relational aspect of the gospel. And for some of us, we have to understand this is the height of the gospel. To know a good father. Some of us, all we know is abusive, overbearing fathers. And yet in the gospel, you get the grace of a good father in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Father, becomes your Father. This is the highest privilege of the gospel. And that you would call God Father makes the gospel tangible. It makes it real. It is the relational aspect, the highest privilege, the highest joy of the gospel. This is where our joy in the gospel is found. You see, there's the experience of real, real joy. The thrill of, of getting a puppy. There, there is the, the real peace that you may experience in temporary settings. Some of you, when I, when I talk about peace, 
You think about if I could just get to that mountainside and feel the wind on my face and look off into the God's glorious, majestic beauty, then I would have peace. There's others of you here today. You would say, I, I could have joy right now if I could just find the peace of a quiet corner in my house away from my kids and I could just get into that stash of Rolos that I have hidden. You're thinking that would be so peaceful. And you're thinking about all these things, the, the, the thrills, the peace. You're thinking about all of these temporary graces and joys and peace. Think about this. Some of you, even in this very difficult time, there were bills that you had and you were you were wondering, how in the world am I going to pay those bills? And then things looked a little more bleak. And then you went to your bank account just a week ago and you were like, wow, more money. And you, you, you felt the thrill of grace in that moment. And, and we experience all of these temporary graces, all of these temporary pieces. But it's all fleeting. All of those are temporary. They come in the moment and they go away. And, and most of our life is spent trying to cling to them. Trying to cling to them. He, the, the joy comes in and it goes away. And then we're, we're looking for more. And we become addicts of temporary joy. And what Paul will teach us in Philippians is no pleasure, joy, satisfaction, is found in the grace that Jesus ended my war with God. Think about this. This is joy. Knowing that you have God as a father and not a judge. He's not your judge in Christ. He is your father. Jesus endured God's rage as an enemy. So you might enjoy his love as a son. That's true joy. That transcends those moments. All that God would hate or be repulsed by you was put on Christ and he was punished for it. All of your sin, those moments of sin, those actions of sin, those seasons of sin, Jesus endured so that you would know the love of God. All that he would be repulsed by you was placed on Jesus so that all that he loves in Jesus would be found in you. That's the joy of the gospel. And you can have that no matter where you are. You can have that no matter what your circumstances are. It's rooted in the gospel. But what does Paul do with this joy? He is intent on giving it away. He spent his whole life making sure others would know the joy of the gospel. And that's what he's going to teach us in Philippians. Is that joy in the gospel isn't just clinging to it and hoarding to it and being selfish with it in and of ourselves. It's giving it away. And you may be thinking, how in the world can I give the joy of the gospel away now? I don't, I don't see anybody. Or I see the same people every day. I, I, how in the world can I... Can I give others the joy of the gospel? Well, be reminded where Paul writes this letter. In a Roman prison. And you're reading it today. And think about this. Paul couldn't just sit down and send out a group text to Lydia and the jailer and the cult girl in Philippi. 
No, he sat down and he wrote a letter that probably took a year to get there. Paul couldn't just pick up the phone and and call someone. He couldn't couldn't get on Zoom and talk to people. These words uh, probably arrived a year later after he penned them. And yet you have at your fingertips the ability to send peace, grace, and joy to others in a moment. Will you use this week to do that? You see, one of the things I've noticed during this time is we have people that I like to call the hope police. Anytime someone has just a little speck of hope, there are folks out there and we just feel that need within us to to, to police that. You know what? I really hope I get to see my grandkids this summer. Well, actually, you probably won't see them for a few more months. Why do that? You, you are hope police. And I'm all for realistic information. And you don't want false hope. But there's something within us. The well actuallys. Where we just want to. to we, we just want to, to stamp out any hope that others have. Don't do that. And this week, don't nitpick each other. I, I do want to say this as your pastor. Thank you for not killing each other on social media. I I see Christians all week long and they're debating all of these issues. And he said this and he said this and I believe this and this is the way. And I look at our church and I'm so thankful because I know, I know you disagree. And I know you have your firm convictions. And thank you for being gracious and kind to one another. But let's this week, let's let's step it up a notch. Let's be more intentional with our words of grace. Instead of being hope police, instead of nitpicking one another, let's sit down and write words of grace and peace. When someone's struggling, hey, God is loving you as his child. When when someone's enduring difficult, we, we remind them God is not judging you. There's peace found in the gospel. And we, we can get those words to one another as quick as ever. And why not take advantage of it? Why not gospelize our conversations? Why not fill our words, our comments, our texts, our calls, our Zooms up with the gospel? Where we're, we're, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and at the end of the day... We're going to trust God with that. But in this moment, I can give you the joy of the gospel. And so I'm going to be intent on speaking the gospel to you. You see, in the video you saw earlier, the the joy, the real joy of that video was something you didn't see. Because I have never in my life felt so much joy in seeing one of my kids enjoy such a gift. And you couldn't see that. I wasn't in the video. And I wonder if God feels the same way when we really get the gospel. When when we really taste the joy of the gospel. When we, we, we move beyond our circumstances. And we meditate on the fact Jesus died for my sins. Jesus was raised from the dead. And, and I have God as my father. And we really tap into that. I wonder the joy that God feels. Watching us enjoy the gift. The prophet Zephaniah talks about God singing over his people. What a cosmic sound that must be. 
And, and you know what singing involves? God's joy. God takes great delight in you enjoying the gospel. And we are never more like God when we take great delight in others enjoying the gospel. We'll be, will we be those this week who find our joy in watching others find their joy in the gospel?